Good morning. I'm David. Uh, some of you have heard me do this before. I used to do it weekly with uh, UHC Ministries, uh, which I ran after Kathleen stopped running it. I took over from her. Uh, that's where we met, actually. More. He wasn't a fan. I, I won her over. So <clears throat> hopefully we can do it again with you guys. If you've heard me preach before, yeah, it, it hasn't changed. If you haven't, I'm sorry. Uh, so you probably have seen me. Um, many of you I have not spoken to. I am the worst acolyte. I'm the one that forgets the bells and puts too much hand sanitizer and forgets to move the book. So that, that's me. Uh, I'm the guy with the kids. I am father of Benjamin and Joseph. Benjamin's the talkative one back there. Joseph is the one that tries to tear up the church. Um, you know, once upon a time, I did lots of stuff. I, you know, I ran UHC, was preaching every week. Uh, we went to revivals, did Bible studies, led Bible studies, went to prayer meetings, uh, went to simulating lectures at the Christian Study Center, uh, played disc golf. And then, you know, my wife and I got big boy jobs. 50, 60 hours a week, and, uh, ooh, you know. Then we had kids, and, and you know, we realized we weren't that busy with, with 50, 60 week jobs. Um, turns out, more. Who knew? Somebody should have told me, you know, that nobody, nobody said anything. Being uh, adulting is difficult. Super rewarding. Back in the day, for fun, I used to do things like debate, predestination, and substitutionary atonement. Uh, now, after getting the kids to bed, I fly imaginary Star Trek ships on my phone. Life is, life is different, but, you know. Uh, so my experience preaching has, has been for the homeless. Uh, and volunteers. We did it afterwards so that we weren't coercing anybody. But it was, it, it's, it's what I call full contact preaching. So you guys sit quietly and, and you might say amen and might laugh at appropriate times or laugh at appropriate. I, I don't get heckled at churches, but I did. Um, and there was a, a, a life-changing moment, really, one day when uh, a beautiful older woman named Eileen uh, just shouted out in the middle of, of one of what I thought was a very excellent exposition on something. She said, what's the point? And uh, <laughs> it was a great question. It's, a, it's one of the most critically incisive questions I've ever gotten. And honestly, it's, it's something that I ask about everything. What's, what's the point? What's, what's the essence of what's going on here? What's the, what's the driving Thing that God is doing. What is the point of this? Why am I reading this? Why did they feel like they had to write it down? So, questions that you can ask. What's the point? O Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to hear us and grant that we to whom thou hast given a hearty desire to pray may by thy aid be defended and comforted in all dangers and adversities through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so because 
you are a mature Christian congregation. I am sure you all did your homework that Don so generously assigned. You read the entire book of Ecclesiastes and took notes. Yes? Yes? Annie did. <clears throat> For those of you that didn't, here are the cliff notes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All we do is dust in the wind. I sought wisdom, and it was like grasping at the air. I built an empire, I sought pleasures, I drank wine. But in the end, we all die the same way. Good time. Vanity is a weird word, particularly in Hebrew. They use this big, huge, loaded, multifaceted mm, kind of word. It's, like, it's a word that is full of stuff when you say it. It is breath. It is delusion. It is fleeting. It is vapor. It is emptiness. It is this kind of ethereal, ugh. Life is, ugh, in a way. And so the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, and the wise man's fate is the same as the fool's. We are all specks of dust floating along the cold vacuum of an indifferent universe, and we are here and gone, and the earth scarcely notices. A blip in time, we are a momentary animation of bone and meat. So what's the point? I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a Sunday school tidbit, right? So whenever somebody's standing here and they say something to you that ends in a question mark, you can, in your head or out loud, say this, and watch as they spend the next 20 to 25 minutes explaining to you, yes, the answer is Jesus, and we could have saved time. So what's the point? Jesus is the point. How is he the point? Aha! I'm not going to read this passage in Luke to you again, but I will paraphrase it. Jesus is, is hanging out with some people. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Now, both of those are very euphemistic words, euphemism being the way we say something nasty nicely. Uh, a tax collector was somebody who would bid to the Roman authorities and say, hey, I can get you a 50% tax. And then this guy would end up very rich. How did he do that? Well, he gave the Romans 50%, but he would collect 65%. And that was his cut. And so they would bid up the amount of tax that they could, could gather. And so they would usually be insiders, people you grew up with. So the person who knew where you helped kept your flock, the person who knew where you hid your grain, and so he would show up on any given day and count your stuff and say, okay, give me X amount. But X amount would be over what he was going to be paying the Romans. So these guys were essentially traitors. Keep in mind that the, these were not happy citizens of the Roman Empire. They were actually very angry. And there were lots of political movements to actually uh, separate that never really went in. So, uh, sinners is a, another... What if I get up here? Sinners is another word that they use that's actually... that is actually another euphemism. Sinner is, is somebody who is intentionally living in sin. So these are usually... Hello. So these people are actually usually prostitutes or thugs, criminals, career criminals, people who have made a lifestyle out of being 
sinners. They are defined by these things. They are not the casual, oops, I didn't do this, or "Uh uh-oh, I did that kind of sinner. They are the worst of the worst. And these are the people that Jesus is hanging out with. And then the Pharisees and the scribes come and they say, why are you wasting your time with these people? And they're a little bit shocked because these are the people that you would immediately write off. These are the scum of the earth. These are the people that you don't really want. They're the ones that by hanging out with them, you sully yourself. Jesus, who's having a perfectly nice time, turns to them and says to them these two parables. And the parables are not directed at the sinners. Because Jesus' message to the sinners is being delivered by him being with them. What does that mean? I'll tell you. But wait. So he delivers these two parables. The first one is a woman. Is that the order? The first one is the woman? Well, one of them is a woman who has ten coins. She loses one, and she's tearing apart the house. She tells her neighbors, hey, have you seen my coin? Which... Hopefully she has honest neighbors, but she's staring apart the house looking for this coin. And when she finds it, she's like, hey, guys, I found it. It's okay. I got it. All right. The second one is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one and brings it back. And Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than all the righteous who need no repentance. So there's a lot we can say about this passage, uh, most of which I won't say. We could talk about how the Father celebrates the repentance of sinners. He does. It's great. How we uh, we are all sheep, and we should not judge as the Pharisees did. That's also good. We could talk about how God seeks us until we are found, and so if we are lost, we need but turn around and reach out. Uh, Benjamin, the talkative one who seems to be not here anymore, he will run up to you and say, up, 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 and he will chase you until you do it. But here the image is God chasing us. And so if we are lost, if we are running away, we need only turn around to where he is and say, up. So what I will say about this passage is that we can see here an underpinning truth that shows us where we stand in relation to God, the universe, and each other. So Solomon spent a lifetime coming to the conclusion that all is vanity, every pursuit, everything you build, say, do, eat, taste, touch, all that stuff is going to crumble. It's a momentary blip. Your job, no matter how important. In the 8 a.m., I mentioned Alexander the Great, and we ended up talking about the Persians some and how they built these great empires, but now it's just whatever. There are some cities named Alexandria, but I bet you the citizens there don't think about Alexander on a daily basis. Even his life is just dust in the wind. So clearly, our value as people, if we have any, cannot depend on the things that we do or the things that we build or whatever we think or say or whatever. God has no need of my little empire of dirt. The value of both the sheep and the coins are in what they are, what they actually are. So these passages in Luke are trying to correct a misperception about what people are. This is harder with one hand. In both parables, the emphasis is on the seeker, not on the object being sought. But there is an underlying truth that humanity is a valuable object that God is actively seeking out. We are a prized possession. Not only are we valuable, but we're useful in both cases. 
The coin is useful for purchasing things. Sheep were also a measure of wealth. Did you know that, that we are also useful to God? That's a whole other sermon, but it's not, it's not just a pretty vase that he lost. It's not just a pearl, but it is, in fact, wealth. He is gaining something. He wants something. So in a house full of goods, the woman seeks out the one coin, and despite having 99 more sheep to look after, the shepherd tracks down the one. And despite a church full of the right people, Jesus is actively seeking out the career sinners. And in a vast, ever-changing, complex universe, God has fixed his heart on a small rock that is partially covered with stubborn, vain creatures that he himself formed from the dirt. There is no inherent meaning to any of it. We're floating along doing our thing. We're here and then we're gone. Vanity of vanities. All is grasping at the wind. The universe is big and cold. And things happen for which we should all be praying for protection. But the God who made it all has made it his business to hear the prayers which he himself has prompted. There's a wonderful collect that comes around once a year. And hopefully I make it this, this year. To hear it, he says, O God, who is more eager to hear than we are to pray. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's the point? There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The things of this life are all prone to be vanity. We are not you are not. People are not. No one is disposable. No one is overlooked. Each is precious. Each is being sought after by Yahweh El Roy, the God who sees. The sinner is not lost. He is simply not yet turned around and reached into the embrace of El Shaddai. If people are the only things of eternal heavenly value, then, O oh God, let our actions reflect this. Search me, O oh God, I pray. Whom have I dismissed and whom have I overlooked? Who have I discounted as beneath my notice? This is the first and great commandment that you love your God with everything you are and everything that you have. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor. The implication being with everything you are and everything you have. The sinners, the blasphemers, the criminals, the homeless, the arrogant, the poor, the rich, the immigrant, the stranger. There is no grouping of people that God is not actively pursuing. Watch the news. What group of people do you see? He's pursuing them. Take stock of what your politicians are saying. Who is your enemy? He's pursuing them. Pray for those who spitefully use you. How then shall we live? What's the point? We have a conclusion from the preacher, as he is called, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the, taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was the word and what was upright words of truth the words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd and further my son 
be admonished by these of the many of making of many books there is no end and of much study there is wearisome to the flesh let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear god and keep his commandments for this is man's all for god will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing whether good or evil fear god and keep his commandments Love the Lord your God, and love thy neighbor as yourself. The relationship of God to man is what makes man indispensable. Nothing we do has meaning beyond our relationships to God and each other. What is the greatest commandment? Love. These individual moments of interpersonal, interactional love are eternal. They're the only eternal things that we do and make. Didn't need that anyways. Maybe I did. <laughs> it's in these small eternal moments, interactions, that we don't notice happening. It's the, it's the moment that you say something in passing that cuts to the quick of what a person is going through and doing, of, that changes a little piece of who they are to come more into line with God's plan for who they actually are. These moments are the eternal structures that God is having us create with him. Small instances where we bear the fruit of God's love, where our hearts fall into line with his, and we love the things that he loves. So it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing or who you are or where you were born. What matters is the things that you are doing, that you are loving God and loving people, however that plays itself out. It doesn't matter the size of your congregation. It doesn't matter the size of your business. It doesn't matter what the size of your paycheck is. Those things are vanity and dust. But giving love and dignity to the person next to you, whoever that person is, is aligning yourself with the will and knowledge and love of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this congregation and for this time. We pray that anything that I said that was confusing or wrong, that it would fall away, and that only the things that you would have us know and keep, that those things would stick, that they would germinate and bear fruit. Father, we thank you for this church leadership. We thank you for all those who care for us on a, on a daily and weekly basis, Father. And we pray that you would show us who we have overlooked and who we may love. We repent of thinking too little of ourselves and of our eternal impact. And Father, I pray that you would show us the little, tiny, momentary things that we can do to love you and to love our neighbors. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.